it is a it is a weighty responsibility to both not only speak God's word but to receive God's word to hear it. Um, when we hear the word of the Lord, when we hear what God is saying to us. We have a responsibility to receive it well, to um, believe what is being said from the Lord, and also to act on it. So we need to pray this morning, not only for me, I'd appreciate your prayers, but pray for those that are sitting near you, with you, in front of you. Pray for your own heart to receive what the Lord might be saying this morning. If you um, are able to stand, I would love it if you could stand as a church together and we seek the Lord over the next little period of time. Let's pray. Lord, you are God and we are your people. And so we come now to submit ourselves and our will and our hearts to your word, to your wisdom, to your life. Lord, you are Lord. And so will you teach us and shape us this morning, we pray. By your word and through the presence of your spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you. Take a seat. You can grab your Bibles and start turning to Matthew 20. We won't read that yet, but you can start finding Matthew chapter 20. Um, I was reading through um, this book, Behold, by Justin Huffman, which I'm, um, I've been enjoying. I've enjoyed it in the past. Um, like Rolf, I'd read it some time back, and I've been enjoying reading it again. And I've been loving hearing the reflections of you guys as a church in your small groups, um, individuals who have been reading it and discussing it and sharing things that you've been impacted by. One of the things I was impacted by, um, a couple of sentences in this chapter, says this, There is much confusion today surrounding the death of Jesus. Many people view him as a martyr of social reform or as a well-intentioned but ill-fated humanitarian, or even as a great religious leader and teacher. But Jesus did not come merely to reform temporary kingdoms, but to set up an everlasting kingdom. And no one was clearer on this mission than Jesus himself. That's what we're going to be talking a bit about this morning. How clear was Jesus on what he was about? So you found Matthew chapter 20. Look for verse 17. We're just going to read a couple of key verses. We're going to primarily give all of our attention to just these few verses this morning. Matthew 20, reading from verse 17 to verse 19. I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. It says this, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, or the word that he used is, Behold, or we heard this morning, lo and behold, all right, we, we use that. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. 
And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Did you get the context? Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. This is the last journey he's going to make to Jerusalem during at least that reign on earth. He's coming again. But on this trip, he's going to Jerusalem. He takes the 12 disciples aside. There's more than likely a larger group of people with him. There often was other disciples, people who traveled with Jesus, friends, followers, supporters. But as this group traveled up to Jerusalem, and when we say up to Jerusalem, that's geographically. Most of the country of Israel is lower. Jerusalem is built up on a mountain. And so the journey was uphill. They were ascending up to Jerusalem, that center of worship, that center of the symbol of God's presence with his people, of God present with his creation. And Jesus was traveling up to Jerusalem with his disciples and his friends. And he takes the 12 closest that he had chosen And he says to them a very clear statement. And it starts with, behold, right? I want you to see something. I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to say it clearly. I'm going to say it emphatically. I'm going to tell you plainly, this is what's about to happen. So, what were they meant to behold? What were they meant to see? What are the things that they needed to take away from this? What do we need to take away from this? All right. I'm going to break down that simple statement, that plain statement, into the things that we are meant to behold. What was it that they were meant to see? What is it that we must see this morning? So let's... Take them one by one. The first one is this. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. All right. Now, I wonder if the disciples all stood there and sort of shrugged their shoulder and they went, yeah, we know. We're on the road to Jerusalem right now, right? But Jesus doesn't want them to miss this. We are going, <clears throat> we're going up to Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem was that that place, the, the center of Jewish worship. Jerusalem was the place where the temple stood. It was where the presence of his God, of, of God was symbolically established. If you wanted to worship in, in, in Israel at all, if you were a good Jewish believing person in Israel at that time, you could worship at home, you could do things in your synagogue at home, But there was always this great love that we might go up to Jerusalem. And at least once a year, there would be a family pilgrimage to go up 
to Jerusalem, to be in the courts of our God. And there are so many beautiful psalms that remind us of the the central place. This is the place. Jerusalem was the place where it should have been. We're going to worship. We're going to experience God's presence. We're going to hear from him. That's where this should have gone, right? Now, usually this journey up to Jerusalem was accompanied by singing a series of songs. And we have them recorded in our Bible. The songs of ascent or the Psalms of ascent. All right. There are 15 of them, I think. And each stage of the journey, it was very common for a Jewish family or pilgrims going up to worship, especially for Passover. It was very common for them to sing these songs as they went. I was reflecting on this as, we were, as I was preparing for this message and thinking about what it is that Jesus was beholding. What was it that he wanted his disciples to behold? And these psalms of, a, of ascent are meant to help build a level of anticipation of what we're going to experience when we reach Jerusalem. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus, as he was walking with his disciples and friends on that journey, might not have been humming these words to himself. Or as a group, reminding each other and saying, hey, let's, let's sing this beautiful psalm together as we journey. And so I went back and I started reflecting on some of the psalms of ascent. What were the songs that more than likely they might have been singing together? I'm going to read some of them to you. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem is the first thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to take note of. This is not just some common trip. And we say it often here. You know, we take the bread and the wine every week. And, and almost every week we have someone who sort of says, hey, we're not doing this because this is just something that we're going to do. This is not just another thing to tick off the box in our gatherings together. This is important to us. We're meant to behold something, not just get into the routine of it. And I think Jesus was doing that to his disciples. He's saying, yeah, look, we're going up to Jerusalem again. It's not the first time we did it. Won't be the last time that you guys will do it. But I want you to not miss something significant about this trip. We are going up to Jerusalem. Psalm 123 might have been a song that Jesus and his disciples sang in that trip says this, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Lift up our eyes. I think that's what Jesus is asking of his disciples. Lift up your eyes. Look where we're going. And what he's going to say next might surprise them. It does. It should surprise us. It should give us a sense of horror. 
Normally the trip to Jerusalem was about a trip to anticipate this great moment of being in the presence of God and worship. It was fitting for the Lamb of God to go to Jerusalem. And it was fitting for the Lamb of God to go to the temple. It's where all Passover lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the people. So it was right for Jesus to say, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. It has to be done. All right, the second thing he wants them to behold. He says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. So behold, we're going to Jerusalem. Behold, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. Maybe he was singing Psalm 123, but maybe he was singing Psalm 120 as he went with his disciples. Maybe Jesus was humming these words, well known to him, well known to all the disciples. A song of ascent. And Psalm 120 says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Masek, that I dwell amongst the tents of Kedar. Too long I've had my dwellings amongst those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. That's a song of ascent. That for generations people had sung as they went up to Jerusalem. And maybe it was what Jesus was singing as he was thinking about the very fact that when he arrived, it says the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. Did you notice how many disciples Jesus pulled aside on that road? How many were there? How many did it say that he pulled aside? Matthew very specifically says it there. He pulled his 12 disciples aside, asking them to behold this terrible thing. That although they would be going to Jerusalem, it wasn't going to be the normal worship experience. He says, behold, when we get there, I am going to be delivered who was it that was standing with him when he told them that? Have you thought about that? The 12. Who amongst that 12 were a very part of what Jesus was saying to them right then? Right, Judas was, right? We don't know what was in his heart right in that very moment. But not only Judas. What about Peter? I tell you, I do not know this man. Not very long later... And Peter would be saying that. Not very long later, and nearly every single one of those disciples would abandon Jesus and run. So that they didn't get caught up in the mess that was unfolding. And Jesus pulls them aside. And he stands with them and he says, behold. I'm going to be delivered over. And delivered over to who? 
to the chief priests, the scribes, the very ones who were schooled from generation upon generation to know the scriptures, to know the word of God and to see the signs of the coming Messiah. That was their job. The very heart of the the chief priests and the scribes were to be experts in what God had said about who he is and how he was going to rescue his people. And Jesus said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And when we get there, I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be abandoned and pushed out. And who am I going to get abandoned over to? Who am I going to get delivered into Whose hands? The the very people that should have recognized that I am the Messiah. That's who I'm going to get delivered over to. No wonder he says to them, behold, look at this. This is astounding. This would shock us. Twelve followers, twelve friends. Judas was asked to behold these things. Peter was asked to behold these things. Each one of them were. And it was his friends who betrayed him, eventually. Those who should have seen him from the scriptures best were the very ones to whom he was betrayed. Instead of rejoicing at the coming of their Messiah they would raise their fists in defiance and reject him as king. So behold, we're going to Jerusalem. Behold, I'm going to be delivered. And behold, the next one. And they will condemn him to death. This is what we're asked to behold this morning. That's what they were asked to behold on the side of a a dusty track, on the side of a hill as they were heading towards Jerusalem. They will condemn him to death. So I wonder which of the Psalms Jesus may have sung on the morning that he shared this with his friends. Maybe it was Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That's one of the Psalms of Ascent. The songs that Israel would sing as they walk up the hill to Jerusalem. I wonder if it's the one that Jesus sang that day. Knowing that as he was walking up to the place where he should have been welcomed and worshipped, it was in fact the place where his very friends who walked with him would deliver him over to death. 
where those that should have recognised him would reject him. And it was the place where he would die. The place where he would be sentenced to death. Rather than being raised on a throne so that people could see him and worship, he would be raised on a cross so that people could see him and mock. And that's what Jesus is asking us to behold this morning. It goes on from Matthew's passage. That he would deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Jesus was very plain. He says, friends, behold, right? Take this in. Be astounded by this. That those who were supposed to know Jesus best would deliver him over. Those who were supposed to recognize the Messiah best would reject him. And then not only that, would place him into the hands of the cruel military might of Rome. These Gentiles. And basically say, do whatever you want with him. I wonder if Jesus may have sung this song of ascent from Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. I wonder if Jesus sang those well-known songs. The plowers have plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. If it wasn't bad enough that his own people would reject him, then he'd be handed over like meat to a butcher placed into the cruel hands of a Roman military regime. And what Jesus endured in his flesh that day, even before the spikes pierced his hands and feet, we should weep over. The prophet Isaiah would say that he would be unrecognisable by the time the Romans had finished with him. And Jesus said that plainly, Behold, I'm going to be mocked and beaten and crucified. That's not all he asks us to behold. The last thing that we should turn our eyes to in this short conversation that he had with his disciples. And behold... He will be raised on the third day. He will be. I'm sure that Jesus would have sung these words from Psalm 121, a song of ascent, in full anticipation 
of his father's love for him. I lift up my eyes. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'm sure that Jesus sung those words as he walked up the hill to Jerusalem. Knowing full well that his friends would abandon him, deliver him, that he would be rejected, that he would be mocked, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified. And, and when things like those sorts of things, and nowhere near that happened to us in our life, we're tempted, right, to think maybe God's abandoned us. But the very last thing that Jesus wants us to behold is despite all of that, he will be raised. He will be. Right. We, we know now what we presume the disciples should have known then. That the cross was not the end of the story. Death, as necessary as it was, does not speak the final word. It didn't for Jesus and nor does it for his followers. Death does not speak the final word. For the fullness, for the fullness of sin to be dealt with, we required the fullness of the cross. Nothing that Jesus asked us to behold in this statement could be omitted. He knew it all had to occur because for the fullness of sin to be dealt with, we required the fullness of the cross. But for the curse of sin to be emptied, we required an empty tomb. Thank you for reminding us this morning. These three words, we could just use them for firewood if the, if the tomb was still full. But it's not. The tomb is empty. One of the quotes that I also enjoyed in this chapter of the Behold book says this, Nowhere is Christianity more exclusive, more offensive, or more unique than at the empty tomb. And so we are called to behold the details of it over and over again. The resurrection of Jesus is remarkable. And that is an understatement, no matter how much you underline or highlight it. The question remains, though, why are we asked to behold such terrible but beautiful things? Why did Jesus pull his 12 disciples aside and say, behold, see, look, take note? And why, why should we do the same? This central idea of the Christian faith that we have a Messiah who died and rose again. Why are we meant 
to every week come back and remind each other of it? Why should it be on our minds every day as followers of Jesus? Why are we meant to behold such terrible but beautiful things? I'm going to use Justin Hoffman's own words for this in the book and then reflect on it. He says, when we take a long and careful look, not just at the death of Christ, but also at his resurrection, an appreciation for the eternal sinks deeply into our souls. God raised Jesus from the dead. And as Peter informs us, so that our faith and hope will be in God alone. Everything else is passing. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is combustible. But life in Jesus will never be taken away. Or as we behold, I think, what Jesus asks us to in this statement... We can't but help yell, Amen, right? When Paul explains to us in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We can say amen to that, can't we? Right? This morning, this is your call to behold the crucified and risen Jesus. It's as though we were on that road that day and Jesus drew you aside and said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. It's the place where there should be worship and celebration of the the coming of the Messiah, but it won't be. It's the place where not only others will deliver and reject, but where you will. Where you will be one of the ones who run. Where you are one of the ones who says, I don't know this man. Where you will be one of the ones who says it was him. And maybe even to kiss him on the cheek. That could have been all of us. Could have been any of us. And in a thousand different ways, in just the last seven days, it's been me. But for the grace of God and the love of Christ, who is extended towards me, one who had been rejected, despised by many, counted as lost but whose stripes were meant for my healing. Whose rejection by me, God did not count against me, but poured out his wrath against his own son so that I might live. So this is a call for you and I this morning to behold the crucified but risen Jesus. I want to ask you, do you know him?
Have you stopped to behold him? To focus your attention on him? To not pass him off as just a casual glance? Have you really looked to Jesus? If you answer yes to that this morning, then keep your eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Everything in this life and the life to come depends on him. It depends on what he's done. But maybe this morning you've not looked to him. We're not going to go through this, but I do want to point it out to you. Have a look back in Matthew chapter 20. Those few verses that we read together, verse 17 down to verse 19. Right? Jesus draws his disciples aside. Hey guys, I don't want you to miss this, he says. Behold, look. Right? Look at what's about to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. The disciples were meant to stop and behold that. Read verse 20. Then the mother's mother of the sons of Zebedee. That's two of the disciples that had just been in that little group. Asking to behold everything. Their mum came. Kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Who's going to be the the most important people in your kingdom, Jesus? Jesus. Did they really see what Jesus was asking them to see? Do we? Do we this morning? Are we going to really see what Jesus is asking us to see? Or are we going to think about us? Are we going to think about what's comfortable for me? What my options are? What's my place? How important will I be? Have you not looked at him the way that Jesus is asking you to behold then my request, my invitation is this. Do it now. Now. Not later. I'm not even saying do it at lunchtime. I'm not even saying do it at afternoon tea when you've had a chance to reflect. I'm imploring you now. Now is the time to behold him. To see the crucified and risen Jesus right where you are. Don't wait another moment. There are people here, yes, but I'm inviting you right now. If you have knees that can bend, I'm going to ask you, bend them right now. On your knees before Jesus and say, I want to see you. I want to know you. Call out to him. He isn't far from you. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. Or as Paul says in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to ask you this morning, have you beheld Jesus? Have you seen him? Is he beautiful to you? Then if he is, then worship him. Worship him. Keep looking to him. Keep turning your gaze to him. Keep realizing all the different ways that the distractions of this world will put shiny things in your path. And keep turning your eyes. Lord, just I want to see you and that's it. But if you haven't seen him this morning, if you've never beheld the crucified and risen Jesus, then call out to him now. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. He will, not be put, he will not put you to shame. He will not leave you hanging out there, sort of just going, I wonder if. No. God delights to rescue and redeem those who behold him for who he truly is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you for your willingness to go to the cross to bear the penalty of my sin take my shame and absorb all the penalty and the the consequence of that within yourself we cannot even imagine what you went through in those hours but we do know that you did it for us you did it so that we might be redeemed and rescued. Lord, give us eyes to behold your glory, to see you for who you truly are, for what you have done, that you both died for our sin, but you were raised victorious over sin, rescuing us, giving us life and hope and peace in your name alone. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Today, please, if you need to bow your knee and behold Jesus, I'm going to sit here at the front. If you would like someone to talk to you further about it, as Reuben's already encouraged you, come and talk to anyone here that you might know, myself included, or someone that you know from this church, and let them share with you how you might behold Jesus in all his glory.